0: I'm good. I'm good. I, uh, the, you know, got through the week. And uh, one of the things that's been going on here, throughout, like in the background, to my very public experience in the last two weeks, has been uh, what I think we're going to make this show about today.
1: Which is, I'm really glad that you raised that because I think that probably would have been originally what we would have talked about last week. And I think it's re- a really important thing for us to talk about, and that is the Net trial that is currently ongoing. So, for those of you who may not know, and you really should know, Alexandre Brissonette is on trial right now for the Quebec City massacre that occurred a year and a bit ago, in which six
0: men, Muslim
1: men, were killed while praying in a mosque.
0: That's right. And just a, a slight correction he's not on trial, he pled guilty. And so. Oh, yeah, that's right. He pled guilty. He
1: changed his plea. To guilty.
0: That's right. So we've been waiting for a long time for this to come finally to the courts and the and it was set for March and Bisonet originally pled not guilty. And a lot it raised a lot of questions like how could he be not guilty? What kind of defense is he going to mount? Like are, do we have to expect a seven-week trial putting people through a really terrible situation of of a, you know, multi-week trial? And it turned out that he he was waiting for another piece of evidence. And if he had pled guilty or something, he wouldn't have gotten that evidence is how I understand it. And so once that piece of evidence came in, he actually changed his plea to be guilty. So there has been no trial, which has been uh, a slight silver lining to this whole situation. But the last two weeks have been the sentencing hearing. And the sentencing hearing is where the judge decides what the sentence is going to be and this this actually raises a lot of interesting discussion so i think that this conversation is going to be um a very interesting one i think it's really crucial that we talk about it because it
1: hasn't really been covered that much uh, in the english press i imagine it would be difficult uh, different sorry in uh the french press or where you you're at mm-hmm. and so um I'm I'm curious to hear about how it's being presented, how it's being talked about, but also in the context of for for uh, you know what happened last week, what we talked about last week. I think it's all very important for us to consider some of the things that have come to light during uh, the Bissonnette hearing.
0: That's right. So I'll start maybe with just some of the what we're hearing on the radio or in the news, because um, you're right. It is not. It's not backpage uh, news, of course. I'm in Quebec City, but most of the news I hear in English comes from Montreal. Uh, CBC Quebec City and CBC Montreal has been focusing on this a, a lot, and um, and it has been it has been the big news. the The sentencing uh, trial is when the victim impact statements are read into the court, and over the last two weeks, there have been victim in- impact statements from widows from survivors from children of people who had been murdered and they all paint a picture of lives shattered or irreparably changed after the night that Bissonette decided to walk into the mosque and kill and so first of all in, in case you don't remember the story he he showed up uh, with, he was armed with uh, a couple of, of weapons, uh, automatic weapons, and he just started shooting. And one of the things that came to light in, uh, in the victim impact statements was that um, at least one, and I've heard two, of the people who uh, died, died in the process of trying to stop him and one of the people, Azadine Sufian, who's known as, uh, I think he was the man who'd been in Quebec the longest, like he'd been in Quebec for many, many decades. He uh, had a a halal butcher shop, and so he was also a very important cultural center, uh, community member in in, in town. He had young children, and there's now a call for his bravery to be remembered uh, through um, an award from the governor general, because one of the things that they showed in court Uh, not last week, the week before was actually the video from inside the mosque of the massacre. And so it was quite clear in that video of what Ezzedine Soufiane tried to do, which was to stop Bissonnette from, from continuing his, his, uh, his rampage. Um, when, when Bissonnette finished all in, so six men were killed, uh, 30, I believe it's 31 men were injured. I could be wrong. I could be off by one or, or two. Um, and, uh, And there was mass confusion. You might remember that there was a lot of stories that came out that night that proved to be totally wrong. But a lot of the men uh, who talked about surviving it and and running out of the mosque, of course, it's important to remember it was January 29th, so it was bitterly cold as well. Many of them didn't have shoes on. Uh, They thought that there was a second shooter uh, waiting for them to escape the mosque. And so that stayed with a lot of men and that came up in in the victim impact statements as reported by CBC Radio Quebec City. Bisonet fled. Uh his plan was to commit suicide on the on the spot. Um, but he didn't. He fled and uh he called nine one one a couple of kilometers uh to the east of the city, uh, still within technically the city, and uh and it was there that he was um that he was arrested. And so the stories that are coming from inside the courtroom, you know, talk about Bisonet sitting there, kind of emotional but not very um and just uh, unbelievable pain and tragedy coming from the, the the impact statements. Now, the impact statements for the defense have not started. That starts next week. And I believe they're calling six people to, to testify. Um, and then the judge is going to decide what the sentence is going to be. And this is also an interesting thing for us to talk about. But on the po- the, the list of possibilities, because Harper did away with the twenty five year maximum prison sentence, Bisonet could be put into jail for back to back life sentences, effectively putting him in jail until he dies. So that's kind of the the rundown, I guess, of of, of the things that I've heard. Now also, you know, if any of this episode has omissions or errors in it, partly is like I'm not I'm not as unfortunately focused on it as I should have been because of what has been going on with me for the last two weeks. But um, but certainly, I, I forget that this isn't like the biggest news story for a lot of people in the rest of Canada right now. As it should be. It, yeah, it really it really it really should be like one of the biggest news stories for sure right now. So I think one
1: of the uh, important things that have come out during this hearing is the admission or discovery that uh, Besont frequented, white supremacist websites, white supremacist chat boards or forums or whatever we want to call them. He visited them before he took the heinous action that he did. And so I think that it's really crucial for us to consider what we're doing when we say that these boards are, are full of, of people who are just cowardly or that these boards don't matter, or they're just a joke or they're not something that we should take seriously, which are sentiments that I've heard many times in the last couple weeks, certainly, but throughout um, the last five or 10 years uh, that I've had to interact with them on several different occasions. And, uh, they're not inconsequential. They're not inconsequential to this particular situation. And they're certainly not consequential uh, to the myriad of other situations that result in white supremacist organizing and um, the deaths of, of other people, mm-hmm. including this massacre.
0: Yeah, one of the pieces of evidence that, um, that did get uh, circulated were the list of Twitter accounts that he had frequented in the last month before the attack. And he went to uh, Ben Shapiro's Twitter account 93 times. And he's the editor of The Daily Wire um, and The Ben Shapiro Show. Uh, he 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 went to Tucker Carlson's account 47 times, uh, Richard Spencer's account 20, 21 times, Paul Joseph Watson 21 times. And Coulter nineteen times. Mike Cernovich, Alex Jones, Cal- Kelly Allen Conway, David Duke, Gavin McInnes, Breitbart. You know, name them. They're all here. Uh, Alt Right News. Uh, Stephen Steve Bannon. Uh, at the at the bottom uh, in the in the court documents, it says Kant uh, Twitter d'extrême droite Kant Twitter neo Nazi." So, yeah, the the role that social media played in uh, radicalizing. Bissonnette is one of the uh, important um, takeaways from this tragedy is that these are not harmless and these are not um, these are we shouldn't be ignoring them they are clever a lot of these people sound very rational and they're speaking to, su- to, to individuals who are seeking something and one of the conversations that happened uh, in the last year around what happened at the shooting, at the mosque, at the Grand Mosque in Quebec City, was whether or not it even was Islamophobia. Uh, because I guess for some people, targeting Muslims in prayer isn't necessarily an act of Islamophobia, which is, I think, ridiculous. But um okay. The- well, it was a debate. It was it, like, w- and of course, it was a debate that um, was initially kicked off, from what I saw, by extreme right organizations, who of very course. quickly tried to disavow themselves of what Bisanet had did. In fact, right after last year's shooting, one of the most popular Facebook groups against Islam and immigration, Pegida Quebec actually collapsed because the founder, the founder just said i'm uh, this is not actually why i was in this i i don't know he had i, I don't know other less hateful reasons to be running pagita quebec i'm not sure but it was it actually <laughs> collapsed and in in that in that collapse then the emergence online that space was kind of taken up by lamert which also tried to make it um self-distant from the idea that what bisonette did was islamophobia
1: and so when when those um, white supremacist groups raised that this might not be islamophobia a ridiculous sentiment did the, the did the mass media pick that up as a as a question that should be asked as you know we've seen the mass media pick up stories from the right and 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 talking points from the right quite recently and over and over is that something that was picked up and considered Seriously?
0: There's debates in the mainstream press about what is Islamophobia quite a, quite, um, a lot in Quebec. And I don't read the French columnists enough to know whether or not like that was a major focus of what they were what they were talking about. I do I do know that immediately following the shooting that t- there was a lot of dispersions cast on um, the GoFundMe money that was raised for the families, which I think was about $200,000. There was the the one for I in Derbali, which which became national news in, in the rest of Canada later on in the year but there was also a, a collection made uh, immediately following the attack. And some columnists uh some columnists asked whether or not um the money was um you know going to the Muslim brotherhood or, or or ridiculous questions like that um and um and there were columns that asked what like the possible motive was and i'm only I'm only hesitating because I don't at the front of my mind have an example of that but they're all as I said in the fr- in, in French media so for anyone listening who doesn't necessarily pay attention or read French, um, you know, just just to say that these are conversations that, that do consistently happen. Um, but oftentimes when we're talking about Islamophobia, um, just far too many journalists do rely on literally on the smoking gun to prove that it's real. Mm. And in Quebec City, we saw that uh, when, you know, in the fall before the attack, every mosque in this town had a hateful event happen to it. There were windows broken and they were vandalized. And um, there's there's one guy that like drops flyers consistently in neighborhoods around mosques that are Islamophobic and also homophobic and sexist and really like also just really bizarre stuff. Uh, And then there was the famous pig's head that was left at the at the door of the of the mosque. And and one call a radio commentator here um, actually said that, uh, you know, it was it's it's what these guys complaining about. It's just a joke. This is not a big deal. And so that's the kind of that's that's the kind of attitude that you get certainly from talk radio that these things don't get taken seriously. And then something like this happens and that still doesn't stop the stoking the fires of hate, which has continued uh, consistently throughout uh, 2017-2018, specifically around Muslim women or uh, Muslim Quebecers and accommodation and this kind of thing.
1: So what does all of this mean for the rest of Canada? What does it mean that the rest of Canada isn't watching it in the same way that uh, it's being watched in Quebec? What does it mean for the rest of Canada... In the context of the fact that this happened, was barely remembered, that the, the victims have barely been considered. Uh, what do we take away from this?
0: I think first, first of all, it's important to consider how far apart English and French Canada are and the language plays a big role in that. Hmm. And that, you know, we've got this obsession in the press of of issues being more important if they're really close by or if they've got currency in some way. And this should be one of those issues that that like you can have there's a there's a hook in every single community. You know, there's there's a mosque in, you know, most communities across Canada or there's religious institutions in every community across Canada or the, the rise of the alt right or the far right we're seeing this across Canada, but we're not seeing any of the links made between radicalization of young people and then the violence that explodes uh, as a result. And, and so there's this weird situation where either this is ignored or it's, it's kind of turned into like the, the the other narrative I've seen is that this is like the most egregious attack on Canadians of all time or something. And it's, you know, and it's, Oh, yeah. Like I said, like, this is like the most horrifying terrorist attack ever in Canadian history. And it's like, well, you know, back to my last week, you know, we're not not comparing tragedy necessarily, but we absolutely should be looking at the connections Mm -hmm. Uh, as as we see the list of Twitter accounts that Bissonnette was reading. Those are English. Mm -hmm. And when we when 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 he first was arrested, his name came out and people started looking at his uh, Facebook page. We knew that he was a Trump supporter. We knew that he was following Breitbart and uh, and right wing blogs. That was all stuff that he liked on his Facebook page Mm -hmm. and his friends. And and he had a a twin brother who has not actually made any media appearance from what I've seen in the last year and a half. Uh, they all you know were just totally surprised and there is some people here and there were a little bit worried about him and this kind of thing but it makes me wonder like are we checking in on friends of ours who are into this stuff are we seeing if they're okay are we talking to them
1: I mean I don't have friends who are into this stuff <laughs> but I I think that you're asking like a question to like white Canada specifically yeah oh yeah yeah okay just wanted to make that clear like for me like I don't know I don't I truly and honestly don't think I know anyone who's like obsessively checking these websites but for me on the flip side you know as someone who uh, very quickly assisted in organizing a cross-country demonstration against uh, white supremacy and Islamophobia I was a a, you know a, a rally a demonstration that happened not too long after uh, the Women's March that, uh, you know, in Canada had, you know, well, in Canada and Delaware had no discernible asks. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was hard to get people out to demonstrate against. It was harder than it should have been to get people out to demonstrate against white supremacy. I feel like that should be like a really easy thing to do. But it was really difficult. And so for me, the types of conversations that I'm like really interested in is like, you know, that for people that I know is like, what, what, why, you know, are you afraid to talk about this? Like, are you afraid to demo against this? Are you afraid of talking about Islamophobia? Like, what is it? What was it that made this a difficult thing to commemorate, a difficult thing to denounce? Mm Anyways, sorry. uh, That's just an interjection from, uh, you know, having, you know, as as you make this very good suggestion to check in with people uh, that I have no one to check in with on that particular piece. (laughs) But you should like continue, like tell tell these folks what they need to do, because this is real serious.
0: Well, and did you, did you, did you feel like, did you come up against kind of the same like explanations from people why they weren't interested or like, did you find a theme or was it really confusing, like total confusion? Mm,
1: you know, when I brought those things up and when I was uh, talking about my own frustrations around uh, why people were not, you know, as ready to, to be a part of this as they were other things, the response I was getting is that people felt really guilty, I think about that. And were like, yeah, yeah. You're right, kind of situation, but nothing, no real fulsome conversations to actually talk about uh, what was going on and how we could change it. And so that left uh, the, the organizers of uh, the event, both in two, 2017, when right after it had happened, and then uh, events to memorialize uh, that happened this year, very frustrated because, again, this year we were also surprised to see that it was tough to get people out or to even remember to do something to to memorialize this so i i don't know if i'm having the right conversations Hmm. to be honest
0: well and what makes me immediately wonder too like what is the impact that that the the, the narrative that emerged right after around m103 what has that had on average people because we we also don't really on the left think too much about what just what's what's the impact on us all floating around this like media ecosystem of garbage <laughs> you know like like many many of us are or might think we are impervious to it but like the reality is is that you're constantly hearing like immediately following the attack last year we constantly heard the conservatives refuse to accept islamophobia on its own as being worthy of what was it denunciation or something like that Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the fallout of M103 was unbelievable right there was like uh, hard right organizations used the motion to uh, organize demonstrations across Canada and um, and they did like in most cities, the demonstrations were small and people counter protesters far outnumbered them, but not everywhere. Certainly not in Quebec City, where we were outnumbered easily two to one, if not more. And I think we have an, uh, we had an episode on it that happened um around the time last March last year.
1: So M103, of course, being a non-binding. So this should you know, like people should know that this was a non-binding motion uh, that was served in in the house
0: federally to
1: condemn islamophobia
0: yeah and a bunch of like conservatives had their heads fall off because they couldn't believe that they were being asked to do it
1: (laughs) yeah it was um outrageous it was absolutely outrageous
0: and there wasn't really a a good post-mortem done i don't think on the left on how bad that was because the liberals like there were a lot of liberals who had stuck their necks out to make this motion pass and, and who, the liberals did
1: serve it. They were the ones who served it.
0: Right. The the heat that they got, and I'm thinking specifically of Ikra Khaled, was just horrible. Like, she received threats and mm-hmm. a lot of abuse and harassment for daring to serve what is, like, like actually a quite a tame and toothless motion on one hand, but also an important... Uh, an important period uh, of time in Ottawa to just stop and say, yeah, Islamophobia is a real thing. And at around the same time, you also had the rise in um, people identifying uh, acts uh, of Islamophobia and hatred, uh, you know, in in like, in Peel, in Brampton, Mississauga. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm thinking specifically of a bunch of different situations there uh, that even spilled over into the Peel school board, into a school board meeting Mm -hmm. where where someone showed up and, and I believe they like ripped up a Quran to, I don't know, get back at the printer. The Like, you know, like just uh, these ridiculous kinds of um, uh, acts that are, that are. At well, they're hate crimes. They're not just, they're not like ridiculous acts.
1: They're, they are hate crimes that are happening. People are trying to, you know, uh, fucking intimidate uh, and scare uh, Muslim people from, uh, being able to live their lives out in public
0: like, yeah let's you know be
1: clear about that
0: oh, i know that was i was gonna just i was also about to say that <laughs> um <laughs> yes be, because and i actually uh, the way, the reason why i was i was saying it, it in that way is because a lot of these acts are, are made so that you can like laugh them off later and say oh it's just a, a pig's head oh it's just a someone ripping up a a quran um and, and these actually kind of become memes even um they get memified on twitter or whatever um, specifically thinking about bacon right now um and all the ways that a lot of racists use bacon as being some sort of like uh, islamophobic kind of thing mm-hmm. but it but they're but they're so insidious and they keep happening and they're happening publicly and then they're happening on camera right thinking of the woman that attacked Jagmeet Singh
1: mm-hmm. and
0: we we on the left are I feel like it's like whack a mole and not even like we're getting tickets. Mm-hmm. Like we're like missing the mole, but we're just like, oh my God, okay, try to try to whack that guy. Okay, try to whack that down. Oh try. Oh, he's there. Oh, he's there. Gonna
1: It's bad. It's bad. It's bad and we don't have a coordinated effort to really to really counter what's happening. And the consequences are significant and real. Whether those consequences are you know, having to fight for the right to pray while you're at school, um, as uh, many people have been doing in Ontario with respect to the Peel District School Board, or whether it's, you know, the, the consequence of this massacre that has happened. Uh, we can't discount the organizing that white supremacists have been doing. And again, you know, I said this last week. Everything that happened to Nora last week, um, the remnants that are still occurring because, you know, all of the people who were just kind of innocently manipulated by white supremacists have clearly fallen off now and all that's left is the dredge. And so the white supremacists are still going going at uh Nora and Nora's friends about their their hatred for Nora and are much more clear in, in their Motivations for that. Um, Humboldt's not so much being mentioned anymore. Their organizing ability to manipulate so many other people into thinking that they were supporting something um, that, that, that they really weren't. And their organizing capacity to encourage people to take such hateful actions as we, whether those, you know, the, the actions that we're seeing in Quebec City, uh, Charlottesville, wherever else have you. That's really scary to me, uh, for and it should be scary to everybody. And I don't think that we have the tools ready to to really combat that. And I don't think that you know whatever happens after this hearing, our even our legal system doesn't have an appropriate way to really reckon with this.
0: Well, no, because, like, keep in mind, he's not charged with terrorism. Mm -hmm. And the reason why he wasn't charged with terrorism is because the the Crown wanted to make sure that it wouldn't get stalled or tripped up because of an imperfect definition of terrorism, because it was a planned, clear, first-degree murder charge, right? Because, you know, first-degree murder is already the most serious thing that you can commit in Canada, so what is the terrorism uh, addition? What was it supposed to add? And, of course you know in the harper years they they're not necessarily thinking of a net. well they probably weren't thinking about anything they're just like well it gives us a cover to be able to put people in jail but in just the harper um, years oh well i mean like cuz that's that's when the when the legislation was like the current oh, okay. legislation was yeah. was passed right 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 of course, this hasn't been changed or anything like that. And and actually, there was even concern that in Bissonnette's case, that the trial would take so long that he might even get caught up into the Jordan decision, which would have said that he waited too long for trial and put it out for good. Now that obviously that didn't happen, but there were people talking about that fear. But it, this makes me this makes me think that one of the, one of the comparisons that is actually really powerful about how the right wing uses tragedy is the social media backlash that happened last week to me at humbled um but how it got very quickly used by people like Ezra Levant to try and fundraise for their you know far-right alt-right neo-nazi kind of stuff yes um and yes. then and the immediately and the immediate social media aftermath stuff of what happened with the mosque and so uh, let me walk you through th- what I remember of that because I didn't I didn't report on it I didn't document I did write about what it was like in Quebec City a couple of weeks after that for the walrus mm-hmm. but I recall this that, is what yeah. I remember from the, the aftermath of the of the shooting uh here. So that night, Twitter went kind of like chaotically towards the claim that the shooter was a Syrian refugee. And these claims were all being made in English, like the idea that um a Syrian refugee in Quebec City has just shot up a mosque, was what was circulating on Twitter. And as someone, it was so surreal, lying on a hotel bed, reading this about my city in English. I, it was like, we've, we've had many discussions in the press about how there are no Syrian refugees yet at that point in Quebec City, or very, very few. Uh, th- that doesn't make any sense. Like, it's not going to come in English. Who are these people pushing this narrative? And then the second piece of news that came up that was being pushed again it got whipped up incredibly on, on social media as there was not much information coming out was that there was a second shooter the second shooter was a member of the mosque and and this idea didn't go away right and and so then the rebels sent faith goldie to do live hits with them, i guess not live what am i saying so to do to to do interviews or to, to report quote unquote from the streets of quebec city about the false flag narrative that they were pushing it was unbelievable it was so unbelievable and then and then you had then the far right making these claims like oh the the community did it to themselves these victims they're not really victims and and all of the weird conspiracy theory stuff that you know accompanies every single mass tragedy when humboldt happened i i I said to a couple of people like witnessing what happened in Quebec city and the fact that the victims themselves were then demonized by so many external forces. It is so great. Like it is so good that those families are going to be left alone. And little did I know of course that I would become the way that actually they wouldn't be left alone, that the far right horde found a way to make this issue about them too. And so the, 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 the the sophistication of these groups to use tragedy in this way is so scary. And going back to Bissonnette, he said that he attacked the mosque because he was afraid for the safety of his family and his family dying in a terrorist attack. So again, he's getting that obviously from consuming far-right news.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, like, the what is the goal of this far-right news movement these these you know these personalities on the right Ezra Levant, faith goldie and so on um i they want to fundamentally change our society so that certain people are not welcome that is the only reason that anyone would misuse a tragedy uh, in order to to try to paint the victims as aggressors, to try to paint the victims of not deserving of your sympathy, to uh, to try to, to paint the tragedy as not a tragedy. It's just, it's, it's hateful bullshit to try to say that these people don't even belong in our society. And we have to recognize it as such. I mean, I, you know, like I wonder what it looked like in back in the 20s and 30s when uh you know certain types of ideas were being normalized before fascism took hold uh, across Europe and uh in the minds of other people across the world like i just like was it similar to this i don't know like it just i, I feel like you know am i am i being paranoid i don't think so like there has been multiple Incidents of you know people losing their lives there has been um, more and more public demonstrations um, shows of strength from white supremacist groups you know I the the news is it's talking to people who identify as like white nationalists as if they are people who we you know should hear from I just it just feels like there's a big shift that's happening that we need to do something to stop and I think that we really need to pay attention you know in Canada like people don't like to pay attention to things that feel uncomfortable but people really need to pay attention to um B. Sinette, how he became who he became and not in some way to like be unethically you know humanizing him in some ways that you know like the the news tends to do with with white people who kill but i mean just to understand how this could you know fucking happen again and uh where it could be happening right the fuck now where other beast nets can be being created right now through the type of propaganda that he was listening to
0: yeah, and, and I also, as you were talking, made me think about not just um not just acts of violence, but also well, this is an act of violence too, but a different kind, uh, the reward that was given to Gerald Stanley. You know, after you know, he after killing Colton Bushey and getting acquitted for the murder, he he basically won the jackpot, two hundred thousand dollars that was fundraised for him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so it's one thing to see uh, to see like the three percent or La Meurt or these groups marching in the streets, and like I have now seen them marching in the streets, I think six times in the last year, which is unbelievable. Now that I just said that out loud, but it's a whole other thing to also see that completely normalized, but play itself out in a different way in in how we give worth to people's lives and who do we ignore. And not give worth to, and and in all of this, how weak are incapable our governments are to actually deal with this stuff. Absolutely, the only way that we're actually going to fight against this stuff, the only power that we have, uh, are is people of, of good good conscience and good faith, is the power of of organizing and of actually making these connections and 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 talking to people who did live through the 1930s. Like there's still some people who are alive, or there's people who are very like close to those those periods and. You know, I was having a conversation today with someone who uh, lived in Berlin until recently, and uh, and she was saying to me that, you know, like, demonizing critical left-wing press is a huge part of that. (laughs) Making people feel like they're unable to make these comments publicly because they will be hurt is part of normalizing this completely outrageous uh, fascist opinion that should absolutely not be normalized that and i and i'm sure on the flip side making it fully
1: acceptable to say other types of ideas specifically these white supremacist ideas to get that are you know then able to get out there you know i recall the the huge debate that people had over right. whether or not people should punch nazis or whatever you know like as if that's like a real debate that we need to be having like the there has to be consequences for heinous speech, and there shouldn't, the, and and for heinous actions, and there should not be, you know, we should not be uh, cowards to the consequences that white supremacists are trying to set up for justice speech mm-hmm. or for speech against white supremacy.
0: Yeah, in my my Twitter feed this week, someone uh, trying to prove that I'm a violent um, person posted a, a poster of uh some anti-fascist protesters saying the only good fascist is a dead fascist and they're like look how look how violent you people are <laughs> and it's like what this poster means is there's no good fascists <laughs> like you, you know it's it's like how how did the how did the 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 goalposts get moved so far i i just Like, people should remember, like, there was a fascist member of parliament who was elected, uh, sorry, provincial parliament who was elected in Quebec in the 1940s, right? Adrian Arcand's Union Nationale was elected here. Fascism was an open political ideology that people had, and it is not that long ago. And so it's not that surprising that it has come back. What is surprising to me is the ferocity and the sophistication and how reluctant the left is to, to... contend with any of this
1: so what does this all mean let's bring it all together so from where you're at in Quebec City what should English to Canada take away from what is happening right now what has happened over the last two years what should we or I guess a year and a bit I'm overstating it What mm-hmm. what should English Canada be taking away from what's happening
0: well, read the reports. Number one, if you don't know what the news is saying, like go to the Globe and Mail. They they've got journalists who've been at the at the hearings all the time. The Globe and Mail has reports. So does CBC Radio. So does the Montreal Gazette. Uh, and and at least at the very least, read what the proceedings are saying, and and think about what would happen in your own own community if, God forbid, a, a tragedy like this would happen. Like, what are you doing to prevent it? Uh, have you identified are, like are you in solidarity uh, with local mosques like just as a community building activity are you opening up each other's doors are you are you getting outside of your own bubbles are you meeting people are you are you, like if you're part of an organization is your organization doing this kind of work in the aftermath of the shooting here there have been really amazing solidarities and friendships built in the name of living together well to mieux mieux vivre ensemble is what people say here and not that 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 would have necessarily stopped it in like the attack in the beginning but it really is too bad that it took an attack to get people to start meeting each other and working together and 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 identifying these things Uh, but there's no magic bullet like it's it's this is this is very difficult community building uh organizing and you have to be an expert on your own community where are the strengths and where are the weaknesses where are the where are the danger spots and and how do you move towards filling those gaps that that exist and if you don't know what those gaps are then you know then you have to get you know 10 people or 20 people or 100 people or 500 people into a room and have these co- collective conversations together organize 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 we should have called the podcast that the three o's <laughs>